looking forward to the town hall meeting uh, coming up in uh, a week or so, and it's going to be uh, good. The deacon meeting went very well. Uh, they have great ideas, and we've put things together, and the unity is uh, powerful, and all of us will be blessed and benefited from it. So thank you to them, and thank you to you. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Our magnificent and mighty God in heaven, we can never find the words to say thank you. We use the word thank you, Lord God, but to use the word thank you to you, it has to carry so much more depth and meaning. and It has to, it has to be something that resonates so deep into our hearts that it's used in a way that is never used on the earth that it's separated from our common thank you. How do we do that? Lord God, we do sincerely thank you for Jesus, your great son, who died on that cruel cross of Calvary. We just ask, Lord God, that you will receive our, our words, the littleness of our, our intelligence in comparison to you as we say thank you to you. We appreciate all that you've done. And help us, Lord God, to demonstrate our thankfulness and our faithfulness to you. These things we ask and pray and thank you for. In that wonderful name of Jesus Christ, if it be thy will. Amen. Tonight we're going to um, look into Paul's missionary journey. We'll do the first and we'll see um, uh, just a little bit. I just want to highlight some ideas from his missionary journey. Because the missionary journeys are so powerful and impactful. Uh, it was to the first century church. It is to us today to just to just know our group's about to go to Honduras. It's a missionary journey. It's a, it's a work of God uh, carried out in another location. Peter had three missionary journeys that he went on. So Paul, at this point in his life, uh, it seems like everything that he's gone through prepared him for the journeys that he will go through. We're going to Romans chapter 15. The journeys that he's about to embark upon are impressive and impactful. And Paul had this idea that Peter doesn't have. And the idea that Paul has, he shares with us in Romans chapter 15. Paul says, beginning at verse 20, And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. So Paul wasn't comfortable with just staying right in this one area of Jerusalem and the surrounding parts. He wanted to go somewhere where the gospel had not yet been spoken. That's a certain kind of people to do a work like that. In verse 21 it says, But as it is written, They who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. And so there are these missionary Journeys. Now we're going to Acts now, chapter 11, and we're going to be in Acts for the, most of the rest of this uh, uh, lesson uh, today, tonight. We're going to look at chapter 11 because Paul would leave his mark on, on the Mediterranean world and, and it, it technically begins coming out of Antioch, okay? So, so we're going back to chapter 11. Chapter 13 is where the missionary journey begins. But it kind of, it kind of spurs out of, of Antioch. So chapter 11 and the verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made 
their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And so Acts 10 happens, and Paul or Peter comes down to the household of Cornelius. The Gentiles are brought in, if you will, and now the gospel is being proclaimed in Antioch, not just to the Jews, but now it's being carried out also to the Greeks. And in verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. This is an amazing transition in the world of, of uh, Judaism, if you will, coming into Christianity, because up to this point, they were focusing on the Jews, and the Gentiles were following that moral law that is carried on through the Old Testament. But the household of Cornelius in Acts 10 is the transition point where the church now has a diversity of nations, if you will, or peoples joined together as one in Christ Jesus. And so Cyprus becomes a very important place with a very important name attached to it. And that's Barnabas. Acts 4 and the verse is 36. A Joseph uh, and Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. And so Cyprus is the hometown of Barnabas. The church in Antioch had so many prophets I mean, this, this work, it didn't just, like the Bible says, it didn't happen in a corner. It, this work is so powerful. It's moving in a very pa- uh, fast or rapid pace. And the missionary journey that Paul begins in Acts 13, beginning at verse 2, begins by the direction of the Holy Spirit. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they had reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they also had John as their Helper. Okay. The gospel had already been proclaimed in this region. Again, Paul says in Romans uh, chapter 15, he wanted to go where the gospel had not yet been proclaimed. But on his first missionary journey, the Holy Spirit wanted them to go back to this place to preach the gospel further to in a place that the gospel had already been proclaimed. Chapter 11, and the verse is 19. The Bible says, so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to the Jews alone. So now the gospel goes back in Acts 13 and verse 6 to this same region. It reached Cyprus and this time something different happens. This time Eliamis is there and the proconsul is there. The Holy Spirit has sent them to do his work. Verse 6, the Bible says, And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a certain magician, a Jewish prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man, excuse me, this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear 
the word of God. Sometimes the Holy Spirit uh, sends people where one person is, is willing to receive the gospel, right? It only takes one. Uh, every time there's one person that wants to hear the gospel, God's going to make sure someone's sent to that individual. Well, here there's this Sergius Paulus who wants to know. They want to know about Jesus. But there's a problem. Eliamus, verse 8, the magician, for thus his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And now, now guided by the Holy Spirit, Paul uh, defends the faith and preaches or proclaims the message of God to the proconsul, but he also stands up against Eliamis, the uh, magician or the man of, of, of evil works. And in verse 8, the Bible says, But Eliamis, the magician, for uh, thus his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon him. I always wonder, what would that look like? You know, sorry, it's a side note, right? You know how Jesus looked at Peter, and then the Holy Spirit fills Paul up, and Paul fixes his gaze. I wonder what that gaze looks like, anyway, on, on him. And said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? This is the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. Right? Uh, so here wanted to know the Holy Spirit, how he might speak to us. Now just listen. He's speaking through the apostle uh, and giving him the words to speak to, the, uh, to Eliamis. And, and he says, and now, verse 11, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist of darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Notice the Lord is teaching by the direction of the Holy Spirit. And what, what strength, right? Uh, not, not pretending, if you will, or, or, or being afraid to declare the truth. And the Holy Spirit speaks to Saul and just deals with this issue in an amazing way. Just like in John chapter 16, that what the Holy Spirit does uh, convicting the world uh, of sin. I want to turn over to Acts chapter 17 for just a moment. Just a side note. This is what Paul does on a regular basis. He goes in, and the first place he goes, or has gone through these journeys, he'll go to the synagogue, if you will, of the Jews. He'll go there first, and he'll proclaim the gospel to them first on his missionary journeys. Uh, verse 1, Now when they had a, a traveled through Am Amphilopus and Apollyon, Apollonia, excuse me, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And that's Amphipolis, excuse me, uh, in Apollonia. And according to the, the, uh, Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. The transition of the gospel of, 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 that Paul preaches from what he was preaching. When he gets into this place, uh, Amphipolis, and he begins to, to speak to them about God, he, it's that old Paul 
that has now taken the knowledge he's learned and he's transitioned into this new Paul who has a message to these people that's so impressive. I'd love to hear those sermons. Oh, actually, we get to hear the sermon tonight. And what a blessing um, when he goes to Apollonia and he speaks to them as well. The message of God. As they travel through these places, the message of God. Listen to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. For some reason, John Mark leaves them. We don't know why, but uh, there's been, there was some kind of issue that happened, and, and it was a, uh, maybe there was a persecution, and he left. But, he, but Paul says he was deserted, right? So John Mark deserted them on this first missionary journey. The message that Paul preaches is so powerful. I want to just grab uh, near the end of the sermon, and then we'll go back and look at the beginning and bring it to the end. Verse 42. And as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Begging. Imagine that, right? His sermon was so powerful that they began, they're begging him to keep on preaching. In verse 43. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, was urging them to continue in the grace of God. They were saying, you keep on preaching this message to us. Uh, we can't get enough of it. What, a, what an amazing reception. Again, who the Holy Spirit has guided them and put the words into their hearts and they're proclaiming the message of God of salvation. The good news of Jesus Christ. What was the sermon about? What was Paul's sermon about? There are two major points I want to bring out in Acts 13. The first one is kind of a summary, uh, a review of how God dealt with uh, Israel from the beginning and bringing them up to where they are today. And then the second point is how Jesus is that promised Savior. And you can imagine that Saul, when he's proclaiming this message, he's, he's, he's reminding them, or they're looking at him and realizing, this guy, this guy, he didn't have a clue, right? Saul didn't have a clue. He missed all these verses. He missed all of his knowledge. As he was going out and persecuting the church, he had absolutely no clue at all. All right, beginning of verse 16, and we'll just chop this up and jump around a little bit. A review of God's dealings with Israel. Beginning of verse 16, Acts 13. And Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. And for a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. This is, this is not left for debate. This is the historical information that the Jews have passed on for years that we can, we can look at. It's documentable. It's checkable. Uh, it's, it's realistic. This is exactly what happened. They can't argue against it. Verse 20. They're listening to Paul. And after these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. 
And then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. It's not debatable. It's checkable. They're with you. Paul, keep preaching. David is so important in, in the genealogical trail of, of Jesus. Uh, that great king led by God, a man after God's own heart. He brings up David right in the middle of the sermon because they can't debate it. And they get excited about David, our king, right? their king, the king of the Jews at that time. But then he shifts from there to the prophetic message in verse 24. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one who is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the word of this salvation is sent out. The proclamation that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Skip down to verse 32 with me. In verse 32, And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children, in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And it's for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to decay. He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, Thou wilt not allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among the fathers and underwent decay. But whom God raised did not undergo decay. All right, now we're getting into this. So Peter said the same thing in Acts 2, right? He, he preaches, he says, men of Israel, and he tells them, you've crucified the Messiah, and then he goes into David, he goes with David, he says, David, a man of God, our king, and the king of the Jews at that time. Our king, he died, and his grave is still with us to this day, and his bones are still there. But Jesus rose from the dead. He's the only one who died, was resurrected, never to die again. And so they follow the message to David, but the Jews who are unwilling to accept Jesus, they begin to get their feathers ruffled. They get a little agitated. They're becoming very irritated uh, at the message that has come from the Holy Spirit to them. It goes to what Jesus said, that the, they rejected the prophets who spoke to them from years before. Right? Their fathers rejected the prophets and now you are rejecting the prophets and then they crucified Jesus Christ and now the apostles are saying the exact same thing. Our fathers rejected the prophets 
you reject the prophets and now we're doing the exact same thing today. At least you Jews are. And in verse 44, and the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of God. Remember, they're preaching to the Jews and the Gentiles now, right? The Gentiles are saying, give us Jesus. But when the Jews, verse 45, saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Isn't that amazing? Remember what Paul was doing? Paul was trying to get the Christians to blaspheme God when he was persecuting the church. And now the Jews are coming along and they're blaspheming God. And then if you remember also that um, when Jesus was on trial, they began to lie on Jesus and also, if you will, in the same sense, blaspheme our Savior. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So the first missionary journey, which, which like, you know, goes back kind of to chapter 11, sets up the whole stage of the first missionary journey that starts in chapter 13, led by the Holy Spirit, Barnabas and Saul being sent out, was a time in which the proclamation that the Jews are now being rejected by God because of their evil and wickedness, because they, uh, they themselves have rejected God, and the Gentiles are being brought in, if you will, uh, to the faith. Remember, they were commissioned by the Holy Spirit, and they went on their way rejoicing. This is important. The Holy Spirit directed this whole missionary journey and they were rejoicing. There was joy in doing the work of God. This, this sermon and this, the activity and all that we see was, was joyful to the apostles. To proclaim the message of salvation was joyful to the apostles. And tonight what I want us to take away from this lesson is if we go out and do God's work and we proclaim the message of Jesus, what a joy we'll find in our hearts. Because that's what God's design is as he turned the world back right side up through the message of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 47, for thus the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. It's just amazing. I just, I'm thinking about, and I, as I've looked at the missionary journeys and think about Saul or Paul in his transition, and I think about where he came from and how he's saying to himself, how did I miss it? How did I miss this great message of God? How did I miss it? How did he miss it? He closed his heart to the truth. And finally, in verse 48 and following, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews aroused the devout women in prominence and the leading men of the city 
and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook all the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. And so God's directives, God's command, God's instruction for his children today in proclaiming the message of Jesus should bring joy. Joy into our hearts. Because the message of Jesus is very simple. It's this. We were lost, but now through Jesus, we're found. And what better news can you think of than that? It's joy. And joy to the heart. Tonight, the lesson is yours. If there's something that was said to encourage you in any way, uh, if we could pray for you, pray with you, if someone would like to surrender to Christ in the waters of baptism, if we can help, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Why don't you come? Have your heart that's weary, tending a 